Good evening, Rifters. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go to the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today, we're here to talk to you about food and drink. Glug, glug? Kaching. So, Nathan, why would food and drink merit an episode to talk about? I don't know why, sincerely. Like, who who even eats, man? You picked it! (laughs) 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 Deep breath, Remy. Everything's fine. (sighs) So, on a more serious note, the reason why we're covering food and drink is that it's actually something that's quite important to us uh, as people in general, and obviously would be important to, you know, adventurers that go out, you know, burning lots of um, energy fighting stuff. Yeah, but besides that, uh, part of just as a follow up to talking about strongholds on Tuesday, food and drink is another thing that sets the feel of a place. There are entire cultures that from like the american perspective it's just the food that we eat is all we know of them like food sets a feel and dungeon masters need to acknowledge that and hopefully make use of it in their own world building yeah like so, if as- i were to put it simply like in real life like you can vaguely be like oh this food has this as its staple and that food has this as its staple and talking about staples what do you think would be a cool sort of um staple in a fantasy world if you weren't directly just pulling from real life like staples and stuff so i would argue that the first thing you should do is to pull from real life so one just the first example that comes to mind for me is something that actually was done on dungeons and randomness so in their world, tieflings, as, some, as creatures that have fire resistance, need crazy spicy food for them to be able to really appreciate it. So the cuisine of Indian food was used to describe the tiefling palate. So tiefling curry is a staple Therian dish. Uh, by, by the way, and I'm just saying... Uh, uh, it, spiciness and uh, heat uh, aren't the same things. It's, it's just making your pain receptors go oof. That's all. Just, just saying. <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> no, I know. But the point is an interesting one to just think about. Wait, so these people do have different biologies and palates than just you know boring old humans do. And human cuisine has massive, massive variations. Two, just the flavors and spices that are used across the world. So when you do actually have other actual species that exist that, you know, do have cooking and cuisine of their own, that shapes just the palate of the world food. So if you have any kind of, you know, any city where there are travelers, so anything that isn't just like, you know, the tiny village where no one ever leaves, Anything that has travelers should have that kind of cuisine available. So to think, like, what would dwarven cuisine even be? Would that be just like, 
spices ground in a mortar and pestle. So you actually have dwarves that also have, you know, more spicy food. Like for dwarves, could that just be considered to be, you know, uh, like manliness kind of thing? If you do have just like, I can take it. And you have like the, you know, spicy peppers kind of stuff. Wait, well, what, what grows on the ground? Let's, let's say that dwarves mainly <laughs> say on the ground. What grows on the ground? Yeah, that's a question. So it actually varies a little more in a D&D world also, because there is actually a number of different magical effects and spells that produce sunlight. So you can choose to just Google a lot about what grows underground and to make that the thing. But there is going to be more options of something like a magical greenhouse because there are like extra dimensional spaces that can exist. There are you know, magic effects to replicate sunlight. There are, you know, magic items and spells that allow you to have water where you wouldn't normally. So something that you really do need to think about is how much influence will like magic have on your world, even in terms of its food and farming, because is it going to be what naturally might grow underground or are you going to allow the stuff that I just listed to influence what can grow. And then it could just be like culture and stylistic choices more. There are options available to you, which is part of why this is such a fun thing to think about. Like what is like, you know, what would a dwarf like? And of course, there is also the whole idea of, you know, dwarves and ale being (laughs) such an intertwined concept. They just drink ale, that's all. Like So does a lot of dwarven cooking just involve alcohol? Like, the dwarves just, like, only get wine so that they can cook with it. It's certainly a thing in real life. Like, I know from experience that, um, like, there's a lot of Chinese food that, like, meats are cooked in alcohol, and it tastes great, and it's not really alcoholic. And I, if I'm not wrong, steak, uh, wine is used as a sauce, if I'm not wrong, in some cases. Absolutely. Like, you can cook with, and you can have, like, beer-battered food. You can have food cooked in wine. You can have... You know, something like tiramisu with uh, way higher alcohol content. There are a lot of dishes that are cooked with alcohol. So is that the direction that you choose to lean? Like, is the, you know, kind of joke it but true in your world, just that all dwarven dishes have some amount of alcohol in it. So you have to, like, be careful when you do order dwarven food. Like, that could be kind that, that's of interesting a joke in a like, world. I, I, I can like, imagine, that, right? You have to be careful. I, I can imagine a party just being like, okay, I'll have the um, fish and chips with the, uh, <laughs> uh, with, with a, you know, a, a, a glass of watered down um, something, something. And then they, they finish just like, that was a lot stronger than I thought it'd be. <laughs> and it turns out it's just a food. It very well could be. And like, or it could just be, you know, that kind of competition thing. Like, th- like we have eating competitions of like who can eat the most food or who can eat. You know, the spiciest thing. Real people are weird. It's actually something that I enjoy watching. Like, I'm interested by some of those food. Like, there's one food competition I watched once that had a 12 foot long sushi roll, but two random foot long sections were just stuffed with wasabi. And they never Ah, know when they were going to hit that. That sounds painful. (laughs) Yes, but it was very entertaining to watch. And actually, let's go ahead and just tangent to that for a moment. The idea of a food competition is, like as we just described, something that has different opinions in different places. But imagine that in a D&D world where you have, you know, 
potentially like a dwarf, a minotaur and a dragonborn all like sitting in a row with like a human and a half elf. Like that would be a spectacle to like see like what type of food would get brought before such individuals. Like who would win in an eating contest between those kinds of people? You know, is it going to be, you know, the minotaur? Is it going to be the dwarf? Or is it just going to be, is it going to be a human like Kobayashi who just unexpectedly just destroys everyone else? Like, I don't know. And again, when there's something in D&D that I don't know, I appreciate that because it means that I can just do a scenario and let the dice decide. I like to see when that happens, when there is something that isn't known. It is not even necessarily quantifiable because it could just come down to like a constitution check or saving throw or some such, depending on how you choose to run such a competition. Actually, talking about weird ass food, um, since it is a fantasy world and in real life, you have just weird ass stuff like, you know, eggs that, um, you know, there's like the little chick inside and it's been cooked and stuff. Yeah. Imagine. I know what you're talking about. That one disturbs me. Yeah, I know. but. Imagine what could, what kind of weird stuff that, like the actual weird stuff that you could have in the fantasy world. Like, it could, could be the same thing, but like, oh, this is a dragon egg. Um, we cooked it on the, the, the little um, baby dragon was uh, uh, still inside. No, let, let's not go so terrible with it. Let's just say <laughs> they want a dragon egg omelet. Something less sad and terrible than the first thing. Yeah, less described. sad and terrible, sure. <laughs> Like, could you imagine if, like, adventurers are hired to go to a dragon nest and to collect an egg, whether that is, like, kill the dragon or just steal the egg, and, like, they might think, oh, okay, this person wants to, like, raise a baby dragon, and then he just cracks it open and starts cooking it? That'd be hilarious! Like, when you have people with some ridiculous amount of wealth, like, they can choose to just do that. Like... Do you know there's a fucking black market for, like, panda meat? Just because people want to be able to say, like, pandas are really fucking endangered. I want to eat one. Well, that's kind of like, sad. That's, yeah, but in a D&D world, like, actually, there's a thought. We could talk about just, like, endangered or extinct D&D. Uh, that's a future thought. Anyway, in D&D, though, there are so many unusual creatures out there. And more than once, I have had my players ask me, and we eat it. And that makes this really something that you should think about, because there are just a lot of creatures that would be unsafe for human consumption. And again, I did specifically say human consumption for a reason. In a D&D world, are there going to be foods that, you know, a dwarf with their poison resistance or just, you know, being a dwarf alone just makes it so that they can eat this creature, but maybe a human cannot? Like, can you eat like some of the weirder creatures that are out there? Like everyone would generally agree that, okay, if there's a giant snake, yeah, you can probably eat that and that'd be fine. Zombies. But no, because those were still, they were people. (laughs) Well, actually, hold on. Let me backtrack. Unfortunately, this is a sad thing that has come up. If a dragonborn wants to eat a human corpse, is it cannibalism? No. It's bad because you're eating the flesh of a sentient person, but actually, that's that's a really good question because when you think yeah, about it, that a was lot an of exact situation creature, that came up for me. A lot of creatures in D and D are sentient. Yeah. So one that comes up surprisingly often, also that is usually not debated oddly enough, is dragons. By rules as written, 
dragons are sentient. So um, even so, unless you specifically make them not, canonical dragons are sentient. And yet, that, that's most a bit adventurers hard, immediately think, oh yeah, you could totally eat a dragon. So I, I was thinking, right? Imagine a world where you have dragons and, and like, sure, you, you, you gather that, oh, they, they're cunning and like all this stuff, but, you know, they don't speak. So surely they can't be sentient. And, and the truth is that they're sentient and they just don't speak um, in a way that anyone can understand. And people have just been hunting them. Horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that also could definitely be a thing to explore. Like one actually angle for that. Uh, do you know what a bullywug is? A frog person? Yeah, correct. So frog legs are a delicacy in parts of the world. Yeah, I've, so I've had that. I imagine that it's a nice. bullywug, by human standards, probably pretty good. And it's a way larger source of meat than a regular frog would be. So it's a more efficient use, too. Just, could you imagine if there was just like some city that is just like very, you know, famous for its cuisine and it turns out that like their source of wait, meat wait, wait. is just bully. That, that, that's how you get frog steak, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, you like that? That's another cool thing. Wait, wait, wait. With giant creatures, you can have you know different cuts of meat entirely, which could be interesting. That's true. I mean, we did talk before in our dire creatures episode about how these creatures can have just magically altered biologies. Because, I mean, there are some dire creatures that are, like, all spiky and big. But, like, how would that kind of thing affect their meat? Like, if you have something like a dire bear that gets taken down, like, could you cook and eat the meat? Probably. Is it appetizing? I don't know. Like, that's actually something that you as a DM can choose to think about. Is, okay, is such a thing edible health-wise, yes or no? And is such a thing appetizing? And honestly, you could even go a little bit weird with it, too, because maybe there are like a handful of things out there that are just delicious, but really, really bad for you. Like has, you know, the reaction like someone with particularly bad lactose intolerance or actually is poisonous. But like for humor factor, let's just say it's like someone with bad lactose intolerance where it just gives them awful awful diarrhea if you eat this kind of meat but it's technically edible that'd be kind of funny so what i was thinking as another idea to add on to that would be something like perhaps a thing that maybe certain people are capable of eating maybe certain races are capable of eating because they have slightly different digestive systems now looking towards the dwarves and such um and yeah, that certainly could be another thing that we could bring up in terms of, okay, what food is typically eaten, uh, what kind of delicacies they could have, and maybe some delicacies can't even be had by other races. Yeah, I mean, there are some D&D races that are just biologically different than the rest. Like dwarves are the go-to because they have that explicit poison resistance. But then you also have something like a dragonborn, like they're bipedal lizard people. What the fuck do dragonborn eat? Maybe they can't have and like what? Sorry, maybe they can't have like veggies and stuff because you know they, they, their mouth isn't built for it. Yeah, like maybe they are just a hundred percent carnivorous, and then yeah, and then that could just be like an issue in game sometime of like you know we're going through an elven territory and maybe like this is a sect of elves who are all vegetarian and like what are you gonna do about it if they don't want you to hunt the animals? 
Like, do you just like stock up a fucking massive bag of jerky the one town over before you get here? Like, how do you deal with dietary needs? And this is where I, I'm going to insert a warning. A lot of this can be fun to think about, but I do advise caution in terms of how far down the rabbit hole to go, because there is a reason that most of the time we don't bother to track encumbrance. We don't bother to track, you know, rations and water skins, because for the most part, that's not fun to try to keep track of how much food you have should generally be limited to scarce areas, like if you're going through like desert or tundra and that kind of stuff. But the whole point of us going over this is to think about from the world building perspective, how you can use food and drink to add to your world. But be cautious of making it something to track. Them. But anyway, that was a tangent, but back to the topic at hand. So there are potential variations of what things can eat. But another weird thing to think about is something like halflings and gnomes. So they are small compared to the medium-sized category of most other playable races. So do gnomes and halflings need to eat more or less? Up to you, really. I don't remember if there actually is an official answer. I mean, one of the, like, obviously, Tolkien is going to be the go-to. Excuse me. Uh, let me try that again. So obviously, Tolkien is going to be your go-to when it comes to halflings, hobbits. So in Tolkien lore, hobbits eat a lot. Like, you know, the <laughs> they even make a reference to it in the movies. Just like, no, yeah, we had breakfast, but what about second breakfast? So is that something that you want to just make part of halfling culture in your own world? Is the fact that they actually have like a way faster metabolism than most people and need just to have like 5,000 calories a day instead of, you know, the human average 2,000. So is that just, again, world building to just be just a thing in the background, potentially, or potentially even do make it explicit? Because I did just give that warning a moment ago about tracking. However, again, people like me exist. There are people who like the numbers side of things, who like to track other things. So it might be a thing where in your game, in your world, that can be something that you want to do and can put the thought into. Like you can go far down this rabbit hole of all of the things that we've said to consider, okay, you have this much rations, but you know, the human can't eat the dwarf's rations because that's, you know, built for a dwarven stomach, you know, or, you know, the halfling has to carry a lot of food. So they might not be able to, you know, carry extra gear because their pack requires to have more food. Like you can make a deep dive if that is something that you want to do. But of course, that is not something that you necessarily have to do. So we have been focusing a lot on the food side of things. So let us tangent over to the drink side of things. Nathan? So talking about drinks, actually, there's something I do want um, to ask Remy. Um, so as someone who hasn't really drunk a lot, uh, we're talking about <laughs> alcohol but here, by the way. Can you please give us a better idea of um, alcohol in general and where you can find certain kinds of alcohol? Because it's something that I personally have a lot of issues with in my own game. Yeah, yeah, you do. So... Alcohol as a subject is actually rather fascinating historically. One of the first just aspects of a civilization is figuring out, you know, oh shit, we've made this thing alcoholic. 
Yay! Like, the history of fermentation is ancient. And it is a part of just cultural evolution. So, accordingly, it should be a big part of your D&D worlds. Again, if this is something that you choose to focus on. So, there are just different focuses on, you know, flavor and potency and just all of the different factors of alcohol. And like now humans have gotten to the point where we figured out how to get alcohol to like damn near 100% potency. Like there are places where in the world where you can buy just 98% potent alcohol. And that, oh man, that stuff is interesting. Uh, I mean, actually, even here in the US, uh, there existed Bacardi 151, which is uh, also quite a potent beverage. So actually, just a quick just alcohol description just for you, Nathan, and for anyone else who may not know. Uh, alcohol is usually described in either percentage or proof. So to convert that is to double the percentage So or have the proof. So if you have something that's 100 proof, that means that it is 50% alcohol. So it is half alcohol, which makes that a very potent beverage. So that Bacardi 151 that I just mentioned then, that would mean that that's 75%, well, and a half alcohol. So that is a potent, potent beverage. And yet this is a thing that is available for purchase and something that I have consumed before. Uh, <laughs> it, that was an interesting time. Good old Las Vegas. <sighs> anyway, the point that I'm making with all of that is that alcohol is a very important point, just part of history. And it is something that is also incredibly popular for the sake of D&D, which is interesting because a lot of D&D is escapism. However, the idea of a lot of people who don't drink in normal life have characters who drink a lot. Like you yourself, Nathan, have like, you know, the characters get alcohol way more often than not at the pub. Like someone would get looked at weird in Riftwake if they ordered water. Yes. And taken to the extreme, we have Caden's character, Goyer Frumneheim, who unfortunately is explicitly an alcoholic. And what is kind of just strange about that whole situation to those who may not know, Caden is a teenager and has never drank in his life. And yet he is playing a character who drinks all the time. And sometimes it gets funny slash irksome to me because he mixing just, alcohol like, asks for things yeah just asking for things that you just don't fucking do like you don't like mix wine and ale no like so many things he'll just like say words that he has heard in a combination not knowing that like no you, you don't do those things like that's not how that works or like to or like you yourself nathan to not know like how alcohol poisoning works when that came up a while ago like you don't know how much alcohol puts a person in danger like in D&D though this comes up a lot like that's why we did the episode on alcohol to talk about rules to use for that but anyway that was quite a lot of tangenting I apologize for that but the point that I want to make in regards to alcohol is that it is important culturally so you can use that in your game this is yet another thing that uh Jason on Dungeons and Dragons did very well. And actually, in his book, <laughs> Adventurer's Guide to Theria, Volume 1, Alara, you actually have charts of various 
food and alcohols that exist in his world because he leaned into the cultural aspect of things to make it a competition between the dwarves and the orcs in his world of who can create the most potent alcohol. And then anyone who is not one of those races who drinks any of this, like it's pretty much just moonshine to us because it's crazily potent alcohol. But to have an arms race of alcohol is a very different take on the usual you know, interaction between orcs and dwarves, because most fantasy just has them automatically as mortal enemies, and that's that. But he made a very interesting tweak on that by having it be a competitiveness of like their pride as brewers to be the point of contention and competition. And that's brilliant and just a good example of, you know, that man's talent. But the point being, you can use these cultural differences, whether that is for food or drink and or really, to emphasize just differences between the races. Because as we've also talked about a lot in the past, a problem that comes up in a lot of Dungeons and Dragons is the whole, if it has stats, I can kill it mentality. That everything is just a source of XP and not, you know, a living, breathing, feeling creature. And by focusing on cultural differences between characters and the creatures that they run into, that creates a new dynamic in the world of how an interaction can go down. It's not automatically, I stab them, but it might be, I challenge you to a drinking contest. And then I stab you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. So support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riffwakepodcast. Tier stars those at all and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where we will shower the cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riffwick Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwick, on Reddit, on the subreddit r slash Podcast, and you can send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.